for me, it's now let's just be great at like one thing and bring on people to then be great at these other things. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everybody. It's Kara from the Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have my next guest here. This is Jeff Braverman, who is the CEO, otherwise known as the Chief Nut of Nuts.com. And I absolutely love this brand. I, I'll I'll tell you, being a transplant from the East Coast, uh, I miss those chestnuts every winter. And so I'm constantly on the hunt for the chestnuts. And uh, nuts.com is my go-to for those chestnuts. And and because on the West Coast, we're just not so good at, at uh, sourcing those chestnuts. So um, so Jeff has has saved me. Um, but more than anything, Jeff has this incredible story. It's a family business. He is the CEO or chief nut of nuts.com, but he started it or he didn't start it. Somebody else started it. I'll let Jeff tell you the whole story in the family. And he's been working at the company since he was seven years old. I'm sure not getting paid. $5 a day at seven. <laughs> $5 a day. Oh, that's so awesome. Sweeping the floors. And uh, so if you have any kids that need a little bit of um, inspiration, kick in the butt uh, and learn what they can eventually do, they have to hear Jeff's story for sure. But also working the cash register. I did that at age 14 at a toy store. So I think that's a uh, Definitely a, a time when, uh, or a place where you can learn quite a bit about the money side of things and margins and all those things. Uh, but your first, I guess the store was on Mulberry Street and we'll, in Newark, New Jersey, and we'll hear a little bit more about that. But as I mentioned, he took it from a local shop to a national brand that ships all over the U.S. while still maintaining their local small business feel to it. And in 2016, Jeff acquired another brand uh, that we'll get him to share a little bit more about called Cooper's Chocolate, which was another family business, which he has kept true to its roots and traditions. Uh, Totally appreciate that. And so I'm so excited, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Jeff doesn't, I don't know, I don't hear you do too many interviews. So I'm I'm like really honored and excited that you came on to share a little bit more with us. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So take us back to your childhood and, uh, you know, who was little Jeff? Obviously, seven years old, <laughs> you were great at sweeping and, and five bucks a day was... Uh, getting paid every every day did you ever get a raise or you know what what happened exactly i got a raise when it was me who was paying myself yeah <laughs> me was er- earning it no for me it was just like a nice childhood business story where i didn't realize we had a terrible family business 
it was a hard business. My dad was kind of on his feet, right? If you've worked in you've worked in retail, you know you know what that's that's like. It's 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 exhausting. Um, so my dad was working six days a week and not 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 home a ton for you know seeing me play sports and stuff like that. But for me, it was just fun. I would go into the store with my cousins. My grandfather was alive at the time. He was much mellower than he was uh, as he was probably building the business. Um, but uh, you know, I would spend good quality time with him. Uh, you know, he actually worked until he was 88 years old. He got he became ill and went to the hospital, and that was it, right? But uh, he worked basically till till he passed away. But be fun, you know. I only have fond memories as a kid. Our first store, I got I was scared of that one. That was from like the 1880s. It was an old building, rather. Uh, our business started in 1929, but then that got bulldozed when I was about four or five years old. And then we moved into this little mall, and there was a PA system. So we would, one of our claims to fame was freshly roasted peanuts. So when the peanuts would come out, I would get on the little microphone, the PA system and say, get your hot peanuts. No so gonna, way. Yeah. Hysterical. And it was special because my grandfather, even as he aged, he would get up from his chair in the back of the store. And when the peanuts would come out of the roaster, he would get up and help bag the, the peanuts. Um, so, so, so again, fond memories, but I never expected to go into the business. So your grandfather started the business and then your father worked there and, and ran the business and then how, and obviously you, you worked there helping around the store. Then, then did you go right into the business or did you do something else in between? So let me rewind for one second. So my grandfather started this thing in 1929, basically stayed the same way. I mean, there was ups and downs. I mean, he went off to to fight in World War II, came back and the business was, he started expanding and it was this tiny little thing again. Basically stayed this tiny little thing for the next, uh, you know, bunch of years. Um, so my my dad and my uncle, just, they, they felt the need to go into the business. My dad was an engineer, but seeing his parents already older, working so hard, you know, it pained my dad, it pained my uncle. So they just, a family's a tough thing, right? There's a lot of guilt and so on, but they, they kind of felt like they had no choice but to go into the business. Um, Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options. Keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart? Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices. Snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part? Each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
That's code GOLDEN50 at Factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. So for me, right, I was just this little kid in the store. My, my dad never put any expectations of me coming into the business. But I was a freshman in college in 1999. I said, hey, this internet's pretty interesting. Maybe, just maybe, we can sell nuts online. So it was early then. So I, I did buy nutsonline.com. That was my seventh choice. The, the previous six domains were all taken. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing to... that you got in 1999. You got nuts.com. That is that is no. So then no. So that oh was nuts you didn't on, okay nuts on nutsonline.com. Um, nuts.com. Well, you you remember what the internet was those days. <laughs> you can imagine what was on that site. Um, yeah. So I didn't have any money either to buy something. So I had to find something that wasn't taken. But I, it was just a little bit early. Orders would trickle in. I built the site. I found a kid at college to help me build it. Uh, my second semester. And it was just orders here and there trickling along, figured out how to advertise and, and so on. But no, I, I wasn't going into the business. I actually graduated and went to work in investment banking. And after about, well, at exactly six months, I decided I was going to give, give notice. But, uh, but, but a few short weeks before then, I told my dad and my uncle I wanted to come into the family business. 
and they verbatim said I was nuts. <laughs> I was making more money than them as a 22-year-old. I was doing great. And there was so much promise for in my career trajectory versus they were in a struggling four-person. It was my dad, my uncle, and two employees. And if we have time, I could answer what went behind that decision because it no, I, so I would love yeah, yeah, I would love to hear it. Yeah, you want to hear it now? <laughs> we have all the time in the world, Jeff. So I was doing great. I was working for a firm called Blackstone, which was is very prestigious now, but was very prestigious then. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually managing the job well. You know, a lot of friends of mine would work those, you know, sleepless sleepless nights and so on. And I, I managed a little bit better, still lots of hours, um, but. I felt there was something in me that I don't want to say like I, I can do better, but like I felt like I could do better. Mm-hmm. And I love being creative. I love building things. I love the concept of entrepreneurship. And I, you know, had a few epiphanies along the way where I took off. I took off for Thanksgiving. I had to ask permission to take off for Thanksgiving. And I visited my sister who was living in Spain at the time. And she didn't make much money, but she was really happy. Like, wow, hmm, interesting. Hmm. And I had met, actually, it was a work event. I went and I ended up, a colleague's uncle was there who was this extremely successful entrepreneur. And he was he had, was an engineer and was killing himself, working 100 plus hour weeks. And finally, he said, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and he kind of gave me the, I don't know if the word is inspiration or the motivation, but I was like, well, when do I make the jump? Mm-hmm. And he said, I was like, well, do I wait for the, my bonus at the end of the first year? He's like, no, you leave now. So within the next bunch of weeks was I would get a stub bonus. So it was a nice, it was convenient. And it still took a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, but, but for me, I felt like I saw some of the partners in my firm who were making tons of money, like massive sums of money. I don't know what investment bankers make these days, but it's probably kind of more, more back then. And I saw them like in the office, right? Away from their families on a Saturday and they were grumpy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I don't think they were raising their kids at all. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want that. And I saw that the problem is they were trapped. It's like kind of like those golden handcuffs. How do you Mm -hmm. get off that track? And your lifestyle changes too, as you get wealthier and wealthier, at least in that world, suddenly your expenses and your budget are that much higher. It's almost impossible to jump off the track. And so I looked at this, I was 22 at the time, and I said, there's no time like the present. And there was a book I had read, a lot of people have read the Dale Carnegie books, like How to mm-hmm. Win Friends and Influence People. But most people haven't read How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And I remember I read that in college, and, and, and the point I got from that was, you know, look at your downside. And you may realize that your downside's actually not that bad. So like, establish that. What is that real downside? Because in the book, it'll talk about a quadriplegic who's happy. And it's like, well, you know, you know, think about that. Like, what are you, what are you going to complain about? And for me, when I established kind of that, that baseline or that, that downside, it was, I will become the best high school teacher in the country. I will coach three sports. I will figure out how to get to make six figures and have a beautiful little house and have two kids and have a wonderful life. And kind of, it was like, let's go. And, and I jumped in again, my dad and Michael thought I was nuts. Uh, and I, I also didn't want to take any from anything away from them because they weren't making much money. So I actually took a draw, not a real salary, but a draw. And I mm-hmm. took a significant upside in, in, in subsequent profit. And, 
that was it. Off to the races. That was it. So when you so you started this online business when you were in college, and then what did were they continuing it while you were uh, working in in investment banking, or had they just sort of stopped it? No, no. It was like orders were trickling in here and there. Yeah. I, you know, I have a and I have a very customer first mindset. Uh, yeah. My my uncle to some extent. My dad less less so. I mean, it's tough being in Newark, New Jersey when. Right, your retail business is deteriorating year after year, and you have to deal with shoplifters and stuff like that. It wasn't a it wasn't a happy <laughs> environment at all times. Um, so my dad wasn't he would answer the phones, and he wasn't always the friendliest, and so on. Um, or if someone complained, right? <laughs> you know, it, it would be an interesting interesting uh, dialogue. But they just kept it going, still early, right? Not so many people were buying food or nuts online at the time, uh, but you know, started building a, a base. But it was still really tiny. You know, when I joined, it wasn't like this was already taking off. It was still in its early stages. That's amazing. Well, I always say too that, you know, and I'm sure you do this as well, what you learned about yourself during, you know, your investment banking years, but also obviously about, you know, businesses and, and sort of like the economics of, of that and, and sort of looking at so many different sectors and what other people were doing. It's, it, you know, as Steve Jobs used to say, looking back, the dots eventually connect. Like it was yeah. meant to be that you saw all this so that you could appreciate it. And uh, I, I think you laid that story out really well. Correct. But what I found in, in, in my life, or there's an expression I, I learned a long time ago, and it's man plans and God laughs. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, it was like, well, then COVID hit. And it's like, oh, you still got to, you still got to plan like crazy. But you know, I, I just frankly, I didn't know the answer when I joined the family business. I actually thought the opportunity, and again, it was, it was tiny. It was two employees and my dad and my uncle. Uh, retail had to have some little wholesale business. So we had a little bit more of a sourcing supply chain foundation, just a little store would, um, because we had to evolve just to survive because retail kept on going down. But I, I didn't have the perfect answer. I didn't have the grand plan. I thought it was going to be something else. We had been selling to Wegmans at the time. And I thought, well, that was the opportunity. Let's go and do more business with Wegmans. But it turned out that ended up not being the opportunity. Uh, but I put my head down and I read books on customer service. I, I spoke with all two employees. I visited our customers. I visited suppliers. We had this wholesale business. I tried to go on the road selling this stuff. And I was like, this is just some of the stuff is a straight up commodity. I'm not good at this. I'm not a good salesperson. I don't want to do this. So ultimately, I leaned into, you know, where are we going to be the most differentiated? We can be. And that was going online, really redoubling our efforts online and, and being the most differentiated online retailer in our space. But that took me months, wasn't years, but took me months to drop the plan and, and, and frankly to gain the confidence to, to go after that. Um, but you know, had some, you know, trying different things. Like I said, I would go on the road trying to sell stuff and I was like, oh, I'm terrible at this, or this sucks. Also, you find these opportunities. So I'll give you a very simple example, because this doesn't mean you have to be a genius. Yeah. You know, and you could, I studied business undergrad and, and obviously you could get your MBA, but like you learn so much just by doing. Here's a very simple example. I'll make up the numbers, but we bought raw cashews. Pretend that was $3 a pound. And we were buying roasted cashews for, make this up, but $5 a pound. I was like, wait, but we can pay someone to roast the cashews for 50 cents a pound. Or again, just mm-hmm. making up the numbers. I was like, wow, well, three fifty. if we send these cashews raw cashews and get them roasted that's three dollars and fifty cents a pound 
we could save $1.50 a pound. Again, I'm making up these numbers, but that decision saved us $10,000 that first year. When you're a business not making any money, that's like, and it's free. You know, yeah. that's unbelievable. You know, or like, hey, you know, my dad and my uncle were rather dogmatic, you know, very set in their ways. But we were selling salted sunflower seeds in the shell, just as an example. And I was like, well, why don't we sell unsalted, right? We sell salted caches and unsalted caches. Let's just apply this logic consistently. Really basic stuff. My dad and my uncle, ah, it's not, not going to sell. No one wants it. Well, our fifth best-selling product back then quickly became unsalted sunflower I seeds in the it. shell. Why? Well, some bird owners wanted that for birds, which is like, wow, we have no idea. And diabetics, what are you going to chew at the ball game? You can't have the salted sunflower seeds, so you would have the unsalted. You know, and this is still like truckload volume product for us, you know, and, and so on. So again, no, you know, there's never, there can be a grand plan, but I think the key is just iterating, you know, using common sense and continually improving. I love it. So what were the, I mean, you touched on this just now, but dealing with uh, a family who has been doing it one way for <laughs> a long time, I can only imagine, you know, you're coming in and you're saying, what about this way? What about this way? How did you manage that? Like, how did you, how did you get them to really understand that it was worth trying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, force of, force of will. No, I, I, to be fair, and I've got to give a ton of credit to my dad and my uncle, specifically to my dad, though, look, this was a little bit of a role reversal. So when mm -hmm. I was in, he always believed in me and always, you know, invested in my confidence and, 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 and so on. So when I was in high school, I was managing his money for him. This is unique. Not that he had so much money, but like, you know, I was very into stocks and so on and so forth. So like, I was giving him advice and, and helping him there. So you have to keep that in mind. I obviously did, I did well academically, was doing well professionally. So like there was this continued belief in me. And he also learned from his father. He had no, he never got the keys from his father. He had to pitch for years and he had to get his mom involved. He went crying to his mom. This is when he's in his twenties. We should have display cases in the retail store. You had to know what you were, you would just ask. <laughs> you couldn't even see the product. Just think about that. And it took years wow. for them to him to get that through. So he kind of told himself that, hey, if my son or my daughter were ever to come in the business, I want to give them more freedom. Maybe that was in theory. In practice, it didn't necessarily happen overnight. But very quickly, I started teaching them and we started doing things that they hadn't done before. So, for example, we had a wholesale customer that said, hey, can you package stuff for us? My dad and my uncle were immediately resistant. They're like too much labor because there was only them and two guys. And they're just sure. hard workers. So I said. Hmm. Well, here's the math. We could actually make really great margin on this at great volume. Like this is like big for our business. Remember, we weren't really making any money. But like, no, too much labor. So you know what? I was the laborer, <laughs> right? I love it. You rolled up your sleeves and and Correct. you moved up from sweeping the floors Correct. and and Co correct. Yeah. You know, and I love like, it. You know, I'll, I'll give you another example. My grandfather, you always worked. The one time they ever closed the store was um, in, in the National Guard, there was a lot of racial uh, tension. It's actually similar to last year, but, but in Newark in the late 60s. And the National Guard came by the store with tanks. That's like the only day. My grandfather said, oh boy, I think we should close early today. Hmm. <laughs> right? wow. Just to give you perspective. So that was kind of the mentality from where they, they come. So I, I, I was looking at it. Here I, we started growing. So I brought my cousin into the business, which was nice because 
And, and you would think there would have been conflict. He's eight months older than I am. Blockers next to each other growing up on the soccer team, tennis team together. Um, but it never turned out, never any conflict. So he's in the business. We started hiring a couple more employees. You know, So maybe we're up to like seven people or something like that. And I looked at it. We have this retail store. There's no customers on a Saturday. None. Mm-hmm. And I said, guys, between the four of us, we're making each $2 an hour, roughly. Like, this is like, I mean, literally, I mean, we're making no money. I said, let's, this is a waste of our time, right? I'm not scared to work, but this is just a waste. Mm-hmm. I said, let's close. My dad and mom were like, no, let's do it half days. Poppy Sal would never let us close. I mean, literally, this is what they said. They're like, let's do a trial. I said, no. My uncle couldn't sleep the entire week. I told him it's early in the week. By Monday, he comes in and says, this is the best decision we ever made. Within just days, and my dad and my uncle got a lease back on life. They got involved in the community now, again, on the weekends and so on and so forth. Um, you know, yes, times of year, we have to work fully seven days a week and so on. But like, I began to earn their trust. They began to see the data points. I said, hey, dad, let's get QuickBooks. He was typing wholesale invoices in Excel over and over again. You know, sometimes I just made the decisions. They weren't big decisions. And I just mm-hmm. took responsibility. I would have paid out of my own pocket. But I was like, let's get QuickBooks, Dad. <laughs> he said right. it's 200, it was $299 at the time, just to be clear. But when you come from nothing and you don't have much money, right, everything's a big deal. And he said, let's wait for business to get better. I said, no. <laughs> and you start saying, no, enough. And you start pushing. And then it like, right it, it, it was like a revelation for him right like it was like transformational for him saving so much time and effort so they started seeing things seeing was, was believing for them with small wins along the way you were yes. able to gain trust yes. I love yes. it. but still like we launched at the whole plan 2003 i joined full-time in 2003 how this finally after four or five months drew up this business plan it's gonna be all about the web all about the website it's now late in the year it's launching this program I hired as a contractor probably when I was like 19. Okay. So now I'm like 22 or so, or yeah, he still works for us today, which is, which is phenomenal. That's amazing. Um, we were late to launch. It's December 4th, 2003. I said, we need to launch. Like this is holiday time. Christmas is coming. We launch. I had a marketing plan in place and it was like flipping a switch, like the floodgates open. Okay. What is my dad creature of habit? And so you're seeing like, it's like revenue goes up like 10 X, 20 X, whatever it was, something massive you know, for the, for the website at least. And my dad says, shut it off. So I said, you know, there could have been some expletives in there, but I was like, I got this, go home. And the thing is, I always had this, they call me Jeffrey, right? So it's like Jeffrey, like printer bricks, you know, we get to a scale where we can have a full-time person, but it's still me. I'm fixing everything, doing everything. So it was like, you know, take away all their sources of worry. I'm, I'm doing, going to do the work, you know? So I would say if I joined full-time in 2003, you know, didn't happen overnight, but within a year or two, like I, it was carte blanche, literally carte blanche. Yes. I asked for that up front. Did I get it fully? No. But when you prove it and then like the business just transformed itself. So it frankly worked. Yeah. And we made money, right? So like, (laughs) it's, you know, like if there's attention, so on that, that helps, right? Too, you know, it fundamentally worked. And my uncle to this day, he'll kiss me and hug me and be grateful. And it's a it's a nice, it's a nice thing. No, I love that. That's such a that's such a powerful story. So something that you just touched on too, the you learned, uh, I would imagine you sort of went through the entire company and and learned all of these different roles. I mean, you know how to roast 
um, the nuts, I would imagine. You know how to market them. You learned all of that. I'm constantly sharing with entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs the importance of, you know, you can hire people who eventually who are better than you and who are more passionate about you at doing those things, but like not understanding the economics, not understanding SEO and marketing and all of these different aspects. And instead thinking that that's someone else's job, that is a huge red flag to people, to me that says that, you know, somewhere along the line, it, you're going to get burned. And this is, and I think this is just a great example. Have you seen that as well where, you know, you're... No, of course, but I've gone to the extreme. So yes, I've had people sit with me, debate with me. They'll be sitting at my desk or shared desk, whatever we had back then. There's flashbacks going back years, but over a decade, but someone's complaining to me about this work and the work they had to do. And I'm just like on my computer, firing away, listening to them, but they're done talking. I said, you know what? I just did it. So mm-hmm. there's all this time you were complaining. I li- and this is this happened more than once, but I literally just did it. So like, let's not shut up, but let's like, like put our heads down and just do it. So I think it's key to understand the fundamental, every component of your business. But the mistake I made was not then handing it off mm-hmm. when I was ready to hand it off. Cause we had, we reached a scale and I'm still an amateur at hiring. Let's be clear. I can, we, we, I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds of more manual laborers, lower skilled workers, and right that yeah i've been very good i've been very good at, at hiring that you know from the professional staff it's been it's still harder i'm still figuring that out and i don't know if you ever really perfect it right good batting average is 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 uh, 500% you know 500 rather is 50% um you know if people work out and so on um you know just you know out there um but for for me what i should have done was as i perfected something and we had the money to invest Right, I should have then, you know, backfilled <laughs> and put people in place because you reach a you reach a point where you can't be Superman or Superwoman, you know, anymore. Yeah. Where look, I've had to do the work of ten people professionally and, and manual labor physically. Oh yeah, can I run faster and not take breaks and so on? Hey, COVID, I had to relive this because I was removed from that, and then COVID brought that right back. But I can't do the work of. I think in COVID we probably hired four hundred people. Like some, just in the plants, you know, wow. across our our, our our facilities. I can't work like 400 people. No, <laughs> Maybe know five, you know, like, or, or 10 mediocre people. Like that's right. You know, you know, there's a whole nother level, but, um, you know, the lesson I've learned and I'm now figuring out and aggressively saying is let's, so I hired all these warehouse people and plant people. Now let's hire the corporate staff and let's do so aggressively um, because it just makes sense. And right, frankly, let's, I can't be. Yes, I was great at all of this stuff or a lot of the stuff in the past, but this scale, you can't be great at many things. And for me, it's now let's just be great at like one thing, you know, and bring on people to then be great at these other things. That's amazing. So you mentioned COVID, the pandemic. So what was the biggest challenge for, for you all during this time? So <laughs> we were in our main facility. So we've got, we just opened up our, I think, sixth facility. Mm-hmm. Um, around the country, and I could talk about that if you want about why and, and so on in terms of our value prop. But our main facility is in Cranford, New Jersey. I'm sure you remember what happened was was happening. New Jersey was the worst in the world, mm-hmm. right? Worse than New York, even um, as it related to COVID in March and April. So we were in New Jersey with hundreds of laborers that have to work close together. So we have a you, we do everything in house, just to be clear. 
So we're sourcing the stuff, we're packaging it. So that requires lots of people. We use some machinery, but it's a lot of long runs too that are hand packed. We're roasting of nuts and seeds. We're doing trail mixes. We're flavoring. We're baking. We're chocolate, right? You mentioned that business we bought a few about five years ago. We coat chocolate on stuff. This is very labor intensive, and then we pick and pack the stuff and, and ship it out. All right. So when your production facilities, um, we're not like the meat packing plants, but those people are on top of each other. Um, yeah. So let's put it this way: we we. I mean, I fell into the plant. You know, I had CEO friends who said, "Jeff, you you need to go home and protect yourself." And mind you, I don't really work in the plants. Um, I go for morale. Maybe I would go there like a half a day or once a week type of a thing. But like I wouldn't, wasn't engaged in the plant. Um, and I told my friends, no, this isn't the business I built. I hired a lot of these people. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not willing to let people take risks that I'm not willing to assume. So I dove in head first. You know, we were early to understand what this pandemic was about. So on the marketing side, we were ahead of it. And on the sourcing side and so on. But at our low point... We had 70% worker call out. <laughs> we had infinite, wow. seemingly infinite demand. And we had our developers, our programmers come in and help. Right. And then, you know, I became safety czar. Right. The key thing was keeping people safe. And we did a great job. It was challenging because the CDC at one point said, don't wear masks because they were trying to preserve them for frontline workers, for healthcare workers. So we then put on, and we couldn't get masks, we put on beard nets because I thought maybe it'll capture some you didn't know anything about it maybe spit or whatever it captures like I had right. no idea you know and then we're like whoa well maybe we should take these off and so on so it was extremely stressful for me we have like a weekly business review with corporate you know where we go through the numbers and so on i could barely join i would join it for like three minutes and i had to get back in the plant but they had to kind of see my face and you know we did have these corporate volunteers but i remember telling them i could keep this pace up for two weeks i got this two weeks 11 weeks. So I, I have the luxury of having a guest house out back behind my house. I didn't want to risk getting the family sick and I didn't know. And this is a tough thing, right? And yeah, my totally. ops people applauded me. They're like, Jeff, we know you didn't need to do it. But I lived in this guest house for 11 weeks. Um, I, I have four kids under eight. <laughs> you know, this was hard. So for me, that was really taxing. Day to day, there were tough ethical decisions like, I'm literally picking doing them. I was probably doing manual labor 70 hours a week and then working from home another 30 something hours a week. Uh, Cause we had to like suppress demand. We had to write all this code to slow down the store. You know, we shut off all marketing. And then even then, if you came to the site, we need to discourage you from buying. It's kind of a crazy thing as an entrepreneur to turn away business, especially free, <laughs> not yeah. free business. But Hey, I was picking orders and the woman across from me, not, not old or anything, but had asthma. We knew she had asthma. We sent her home. That's like, that meant I'd had to work that much more. She was one of our best yeah. workers. And then we had to hire hundreds of agency temps. But the employees were scared to be by them. They don't know who they are. So like, that was me. You know, I came home one day, I told my wife, I messed up. I was really close and exposed today because we have scanners and I'm training them on how to use the scanners and so on. So every Monday was a near nervous breakdown for me because people, our employees would think about it over the weekend and then not show up because they were scared and on one monday in particular when we were at that low point i'm just physically doing the work and the workers were calling me saying we have another level they're like come up come up on this mezzanine we need you to talk and i'm like oh god i try to call my plant manager who's a native spanish speaker i'm relatively fluent but, but whatever and in 30 minutes i had to give the speech of all speeches like why we need to be here why this is important for our families for our community our country right we're selling essential products right we sell 
our sales were going crazy because we sell flowers and rice and grains and lentils. And obviously we sell nuts, of course, but all these staples that people needed. Um, I said, we need to be there for everyone. And the worker, I said, I'm scared. I told the workers, if I, if we could close this plant for two weeks, we would, but this is going to take, unfortunately I was probably almost right, but this is going to take 18 months hmm. and we're an online business. And our, this is the greatest time of need for our families and our customers. And we need to be there. So talk about adversity. Like I literally was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I was crying. Like this was like, this was really trying on me because when it you're was, working yeah. so hard away from your family, all these people relying on you, not for their life, not only their livelihood, but their safety. And we're in like the, you know, ground zero, you know, type of a thing or whatever it's called uh, of, of infection. Um, but we like, we rose up. We, we, uh, I read that uh, de Blasio was likely slow to close schools in New York because that 120,000 kids get their one meal a day at school. So we contacted Feeding America. We said, hey, we got food. Can we donate food? And I didn't know if we were going to go out of business, to be clear. Um, but I feel like this is like a trying moment to test your own character. So I learned a little bit about myself. They said, sure, but you need to package it. We said, sorry, we don't have workers. So we donated, I think we're up to like maybe $200,000. We donated a lot of money to them. And then what I'm really proud of is internally, which wasn't me, someone said, hey, we're seeing people ship orders to like hospitals, to like the workers. We ended up on our own and launching uh, a program for all, for essential workers. We shipped it to 6,000 hospitals. We literally shipped a pack. It took way longer because we didn't have enough workers. And we tried to package stuff that we could go on a machine. This was like $100,000. But more importantly, we saw the impact. We shipped a, a care package with 100 snack packs to 6,000 hospitals. And we got letters from the Midwest. They're like, no one cares about us here. This is terrible. Because remember like the wave? It, yeah. went, it went from the, you know, from, from, from the edges of the country in. So like, it was just a wonderful thing. I was so proud because my team pulled together. We put together a hundred percent night shift. We never had a night shift and it collapsed two weeks later because the leads, they don't go near them. We scaled mm -hmm. again. We had called on corporate to build that shift. Our COO was on the night shift just, just to give you perspective. But you know, for me, it was like, well, we, we won, like we deserve to win. So yes, this was a terrible, unfortunate thing. We've had employees get sick. We actually had an employee pass away. Um, that was the impetus the hospital, our first donation, our first hospital that we gave the care package, we weren't thinking anything of it was the hospital that he was really ill in. Um, and that kind of set this thing in really in motion. Um, but like people pulled together and now it's like, we deserve to win in the future because I, we, we, we were all, our back was up against the wall, you know, like I thought we were closing <laughs> and yeah. you had to be an online business and close your doors. And through it all though, we were shipping Yes, we had to push out some shipping, but every day, even in our worst times, we shipped about 50% of orders same day. And I think that's a testament to our people. I'm not saying about me, but to our people, because Amazon, I'm sure you remember, it was like two weeks. You were getting delivery two, four weeks out. For some products. Yeah, for yes, sure. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not your products, but uh, well, for sure, certainly for some products. I think, you know, the difference, so the difference is... So being water, um, yep. we're actually regulated by the FDA because we use fruit, um, but we're considered an essential product. So for me, yep. I've shared, you know, my <laughs> yes, story yes. about yes. leading during this time because I didn't, I knew that we were an essential product, but I didn't know the definition. I didn't know the FDA definition of an essential product during a pandemic, which meant that our plants needed to run 24 hours a day. We needed to use best efforts to um, help help grocery stores stock shelves 
Um, and 50% of our business is direct to consumer, but you know, this other part of our business, we could have lost our business license if we weren't doing it. And so while everybody's being told to shelter in place, similar to your stories about, um, you know, you're the people that work on the line, um, I'm telling my team, okay, well, I know they're all saying that on TV, but you guys are essential. And so you actually have to work. And I didn't feel good about that um, because I thought if I'm sitting here in my, you know, not glass office, but in in a, a bedroom that I made into my office, if I'm just sitting here sort of giving orders and telling everybody else to sort of get on the line and risk their life and their mind and whatever, that just didn't seem like the way to lead. And so I put on my Lululemons and my <laughs> jacket, and I, you know, went out to Target stores, and I started looking around at what I saw. And so one of the things that I saw was that, you know, while some stores opened at seven o'clock in the morning, I went up to the manager and I said, "Hey, can we come at six? Because no people had been in yep. there all night, and I felt more comfortable personally. And they said, "Sure, I don't care." You know, and I said, great. So then I told my team all over the the country, I said, go and ask your manager and here, you know, so giving them strategy and tactics and them actually seeing that I took on a route in Marin County where I live, I think, again, how did I know how to lead during that time? I didn't know how to lead during that time, but the only way to know how to lead, which is what you did was to jump in. No. And I've learned you like, uh, it's analogous to how I built this business. I was the customer. I liked eating this stuff. Mm-hmm. We started with like a hundred products. Now we have thousands of products, but I wanted great quality, great service. If there were a problem, I want to take care of, and I want to have a relationship with the brand, you know, and that's what we did. But here in this case, like I, I wasn't, I actually was in their shoes. So I fully put myself in my employee's shoes, mm-hmm. but like, it wasn't like I was staying away from certain areas. Like, you know, I had more exposure than most of them because like I was just by people. We didn't even know who they were. They were temps. But like, when we went to warm back, we're, we're, we had to build break rooms. We suddenly bring all those people. Well, we had to build extra break rooms. We put a trailer outside just to spread people out. You know, we tore down a wall in our cafeteria. There was like a foosball room and with computers. We just said, no, we knocked down the wall to spread people out. But I was in there building the tables myself, carrying in the refrigerators, you know, sending out a 15-point checklist showing what we're doing. You know, we had constant communication with the warehouse. Like, I was writing emails probably every Sunday to keep them, you know, informed. But here's what we're going to do and follow up when we did it. Because this was, like, absolutely, absolutely critical. And look, we also, come to Christmas time, we did enough business. We slowed down marketing again. We said, we're, we, we've got to keep people safe. So, so, like, we really lived into it. I think people felt it. You know, we also, for our own employees, they're working so hard. We would send them home. We sent them home with chicken and rice and, and and potatoes, a bunch of stuff we didn't even sell. You know, we got in corporate volunteers to help put this together. So they they saw like they saw it firsthand. Um, we're all happy at times. No, of course not. You know, but like you know, we had people. We had a full time safety person. They would literally go around because you know how people wear masks, always falling below the nose. We had a full time person going around making sure masks were above the nose, right? And sure, did they then complain about that person? Yeah, you know, but it was me. I'll tell you, I would say end of March, I'm going around screaming at people six feet apart, right? And screaming in a good way, but like, guys, you're not taking this seriously. I remember the chocolate business. So our whole chocolate division, we're manufacturing all this stuff. I pulled them together and I said, guys, you're not taking this seriously. Like, this is for real. This is coming in a big way. 
what are you guys doing? Like, you know, where are these masks separate? This is before we had all procedures in place. Yeah. Fast forward a few weeks and 95% of them called out. A bunch of them, we bought this business from New York. So they were coming in from New York. They just didn't come. So it's like ironic what ended up happening. But like, ultimately, everyone came back, you know, and, um, and we needed every last person because business was just like, you know, taking off. Yeah, going crazy. I love it. And so you mentioned the chocolate company. Uh, you guys acquired a chocolate company a couple, yeah. Yeah, a few years ago, obviously, to coat some of those amazing uh, nuts and other things that you have there. Uh, I love that. So what was it like actually bringing another company in to your existing company? Yeah, it never goes as planned. Uh, so let me give you a two-second backstory. Uh, and I know I'm very long-winded, so I apologize. But no, uh, I donated. So I was in the city at the time, New York City. My friend was not well. He was at Sloan on the Upper East Side. And I donated blood for him, like specifically for him. And I said, you know, I don't want that apple juice or orange juice to give you at the end. I'm going to go to Dylan's Candy Bar. It's like on 63rd and Lex, give or take. So I go there and I eat the most phenomenal chocolate-covered gummy bears, dark chocolate espresso beans, ultimate malted milk balls. I said, this is like heaven on earth. Who, who's the manufacturer? Well, it was Copper's chocolate. So I have to write a letter to them to incur to convince them to sell to me. I'm thinking this is like the Nestle or Mars of the world, big time company. Okay. So that happens. Fast forward, I get a teaser in the mail in 2016 saying, hey, here's some business for sale. I immediately know who it is. It's got to be them. And I underestimated their willingness to sell. Uh, and I overestimated their revenue. Turned out we were the biggest customer. So it's ironic. I was the little boy trying to convince them to sell to us and become their biggest customer. And did I have the resources, the overall, to go after a business like this at that time? No, but I did. For me, it was a passion. I love this stuff. I really, it's intellectually stimulating. I love the product. I was their biggest customer. So to the to this day, when we go to trade shows, it's easy for me to, I don't really do the selling, but like if someone, they need to call me over. Or if I go to the show, it's like, I am the customer. This is easy. Like we yeah. bought the best. This is the family that invented a lot of these products out there. So if you've ever had a chocolate espresso bean, these guys invented that. I um, love it. Chocolate gummy bears invented. So so really great, great history and so on. But um, you know, this is me going in. I was uh our our main facility is in New Jersey again. I would I would go in by then I was already living in New Jersey, take the train in a few days a week, me doing the integration, me figuring out they didn't have great accounting systems, me in Spanish convincing the workers we're going to give them transportation but they need to physically drive two days before we're going to move they're mutinying saying we're not we're not driving i'm like well this is why that doesn't make sense we move it into our facility we didn't have space we still moved it in we had no idea what relative humidity was come august and it's really hot and humid oh we learned <laughs> uh they just existed they were in right it's stores. a totally different business correct. issues right correct i mean and they and they were they existed forever they were for six floors believe it or not in the west village the family had this they were selling the building for a lot more than the value of the business uh, august came and it got a little humid oh, they would just not produce no we're a real business we gotta we gotta produce so it took us some time i had a sales plan where hey we're gonna double sales in year one but i didn't understand that's that's more of your world than mine but it's a distribution business all b2b Selling to other people who ultimately sell to the customer. I didn't quite know that so well. Um, it's not five years later. Look, did it work out? Yes. Have we started cracking the code? Yes. Did it take much longer? Uh, yes. Good thing we had those workers because when that business tanked early in COVID, we switched them to nuts.com where we needed all the workers. Um, but then, like, fittingly, like, we'll probably do nuts.com alone, we'll do, 
uh, as a customer of Coppers, and it's really one business now, but it's basically this year we'll do the revenue of five years ago of the whole business, you know, so just us alone, you know, and then we crack the code with other customers and so on. So, you know, great plans, but for me, it's like, you know, business is business. You could understand the fundamentals pretty well. Did I do deep for our business and that's.com? We understand customer cohorts to the T where we know everything and how customers can behave and so on. Did I do that level of due diligence on this to understand? No, should I have? Yeah, probably because they had some good customers that were like dropping off, you know, because, yeah. and, you know, some stuff is imported and the strong dollar helped numbers and so on. So, so certainly I, I, I learned some lessons and if I could do it again, yes, would I do some stuff differently? But for me, I love it now. We, I, I, we actually could have, we had the cash to buy the business because I run this thing pretty conservatively, but I put on debt just to learn. Let me learn and learn about covenants and so on when it's small and doesn't matter as much. Um, but for me, it's great. It was a simple debt instrument. Now it's all paid off. It's like, wow, you know, you feel good um, because that business unto itself is like a great, very profitable business. Um, so yeah, and it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. It is we, really, really we, good. I've I love it. Absolutely. It's it's a quality product. And honestly, everything that you guys do is quality and it's, um, it's, you you can really taste the difference. So, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on and my pleasure, (laughs) everybody. It's, uh, nuts.com and definitely you have to check it out these guys are amazing and they've got great commercials if you ever see their commercials (laughs) on tv they're running a lot in uh the bay area where i live and it's uh anyway i just really really appreciate everything about the brand and i love hearing more about the brand story and all the challenges and the honesty and showing your vulnerability through it all. I mean, I think that that is just what everybody needs to hear more of so that we all learn. So thank you so much, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. Everybody, uh, every Monday and Wednesday, um, we have different founders and CEOs who are on the podcast and incredible stories. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, please do. And I'm all over social media at Kara Golden with an I. And thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of the week. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.